0: Just a heads up, guys, this book does deal with suicide and may be triggering for some listeners.
1: Hello and welcome to the May installment of the Shameless Book Club. This month, we read the debut novel from Aussie author Ali Richards called Small Joys of Real Life. The book follows Eva, a pretty successful local actor who accidentally falls pregnant to a guy called Pat who she just met a handful of times but really, really liked. It's just that by the time she realises she's pregnant, Pat has died and she is forced to reckon with a world where she raises a baby to a father she misses but also never really knew. Flanked by her loyal but equally flawed best friends, Sarah and Annie, Eva begins to question her career, her future and even the people she surrounds herself with. Joining me to unpack this complicated but relatively pacey read, I have my co-hosts, Michelle Andrews and Annabelle Lee. Hey, what's up? Hey, Hey, ladies. Hey, ladies. Hey, Hey, team. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you both. So to start today, let's jump right in. We will start where we always start, and that is with some background on both the author and the book. Annabelle Lee, can you kick me off? Yes. So as you said, this is Ali's debut novel. She has a
0: background in writing short stories and has also written several plays, which is where she says her ability to write like impactful dialogue in this book comes from. And thinking back to the dialogue, I agree in that I can't really remember much of it in the best way possible. Like none of it was cringe. None of it stood out to me as like weirdly placed. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Ooh, Zara, no,
1: (laughs) No, no, to be honest, it was only like one or two times where I read a conversation and I was like, feel like that's not a real-life conversation. Like, that's oh. not how my conversations would happen. Mm. On the short story thing, though, you could see that this felt like – this is going to sound like the silliest observation of all time. This felt like a giant short story Oh, in the way that it sort of dives into one thing and sort of tells the story of a journey, but there is no real beginning, middle – and yeah, it gotcha. Of, it's
2: a bit airier. Yeah, that's totally fair enough. I hadn't thought about that, but you sold it to me very, very well. Thank so you. I'll get on board with that premise. Look, I don't have a heap on the background of Ali Richards simply because, as you guys said, she's only just really making her way in the fiction world. She is currently working on her second novel. A lot of the early reviews that I saw for this book made a parallel between Ali Richard's writing and Sally Rooney's writing and I've just got to say I'm a little bit tired of that happening I don't don't, do you guys agree with that
0: no No, but I get it it's like this edgy way of writing about young
2: adulthood I guess but isn't young adulthood just inherently edgy and therefore any time we
1: talk about people in their Uh. early 20s now the like gut reaction is to go Sally Rooney (laughs) yeah because I think what was really interesting I read this interview that Ali did where she said she wrote the book because she noticed that period after uni where a lot of young people get really unhappy because they can't find a job or work out what they want to do. And then when inevitably they do find that job or whatever they want to do, they get even unhappier because they're like, oh my God, is this my life now? Is this going to be? it?" And that's what she based the book on, that really universal feeling. But I agree with you. I think when young women write about the unhappiness of people in their twenties, now we're like, Oh, it simply must be a Sally Rooney-style book. It's normal people all over It's just like, again. what about if young people in their 20s are just sad? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, and also I don't live a particularly edgy <laughs> life, so I don't yeah. know what I'm saying. <laughs> it is quite interesting as well because she came up with the idea for this book in 2017, which is a while ago, and started writing it in 2019. So I feel like this has been, I mean, I've never written fiction, so I can imagine it would take me quite a while to get out, Mm. but clearly she had this premise for some time.
2: Yeah. And it sounds like she actually started in 2017, kind of found herself stuck a little bit and then revisited it two years down the track. And I'm really glad she did because not to spoil this episode or give away my rating, I really did enjoy this book. So I'm glad she did that. And I'm pretty sure she wrote most of it and
0: submitted it during lockdown, which is like a whole – that would be really hard. But don't you think that this book is tinged with a lot of hope? I feel like that was why I loved this book so much because there was so much unhappiness in it, but I felt like this strong theme of hope. Ali actually said in an interview with Kill Your Darlings, she said, I want to write it in present tense where she, as in the main character Eva, where she's hoping and she's sort of suspended in hoping that everything would change after this. So she made like a conscious effort not to write in past tense as if like it was all tied in a neat bow and it was like this happened in the past and now I know where I am. It's like no, it's happening in the present, she's working through it but there's this like element of hope of something great could happen next.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting because I do definitely feel like it was more powerful because it was in the present tense because you definitely felt suspended there. I believed it to be unfolding in real time. I didn't feel hopeful though.
2: Neither did I. Thank God you said that. Annabelle, when you said the hopefulness that was like imbued in these pages is what I loved, I was like I completely had a different experience of this book. I loved it still but I couldn't stop thinking as I was making my way through the title, Small Joys of Real Life. I've never read a book in my – like at least to my recollection that is so disconnected from its title. This book was not hopeful to me. This book was quite pessimistic and – and grey and dark and messy, I didn't get
1: hope. No, I. the title made more and more sense to me as I actually read interviews with Ali Richards but not as I read the book mm. and she explained, and I hope I don't butcher this, that, you know, when you do find yourself in those untethered parts of life where you are feeling unhappy, the stuff that does get you through are those tiny rituals and those tiny joys. I just couldn't feel them unpacked as much in the book. I wonder if you're both surprised as well by this fact, because I was, that Ali Richards actually set out to write a book about abortion, not pregnancy. Oh. And that's not at all what happened.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's so clear that she did have a message on abortion. So I love that she included that through the character yeah. of Sarah. And that was done so early on. I actually really value the way that Ali Richards explored a woman's right to choose whether she wants to have a baby or not. I think the way the book was set up in the very early pages with that pregnancy for both Eva and Sarah was really well done.
1: And important. Yeah,
0: totally. And even like speaking to the theme of pregnancy, one of the things I love the most about this book was being able to experience what it was like, you know, trudging through young, (laughs) early 20s or late 20s, sorry, as a pregnant woman. So I'm glad she made that decision to have Eva be pregnant throughout the whole book.
1: Yeah, let's jump right into characters, right? Because I think the characters are the core part of this book yeah. rather than the plot. Mish, I'll start with you. Who do you want to start talking about? I think we have to start with Eva. Is yeah. that okay? That, oh, that's fine.
2: <laughs> she's obviously the protagonist, so I think I have the most to say on her. I read an interview that Ali Richards did with Ramona Mag, and they kind of put to her, look, Eva's a pretty unlikable main character. What was behind that? And she said, there's a lot of political novels now written by young women about young women. In those novels, there's a lot of really shy, awkward, self-effacing young women and i kind of liked going in there and being like no i'm going to write someone who's quite confident i for the record hated Eva. I don't think Eva would be my friend. I would probably want to be her friend because she seems like she thinks she's quite cool and I would kind of want to impress her or like (laughs) make her warm to me but she was so fucking cold throughout the entire book and I hate coldness in real life. I hate meeting someone who's cold but I love reading from the perspective of someone who's cold because I just find it fascinating. Anna? Yeah well she didn't seem to me like she was
0: Cold to other people. It was like her inner thoughts and her inner dialogue that was cold to me.
2: I have evidence, if I'm allowed to back up my theory, (laughs) that she is cold. It's like repeatedly, Eva would just say things where I was like, Why are you like this? Like the way she was towards Fergus. Don't. Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) At one point in the book, she says, All I ever say is the opposite of what he just said, regardless of whether I agree with it or not. Like, why? And then there's another point in the book where she is just intentionally cold with her friends. On page 170, Annie asks her, is the baby kicking? And Eva responds, I don't think so. Then the reader is told this, I do think so. It's nothing like I thought it would be, but it must be that because what else could it be? I don't know how to explain this, so I just say no. That's your best friend trying to connect with you over something as simple and basic as your baby's kicking inside you. How wonderful. But you're so cold that you're like no like I don't think so it's like I do think so but I don't want to tell her that it's like stop being such a fucking like you're so
1: cold well I can't get a read on how this is a confident woman because a confident person in my reading of confident people say what they think and are confident Mm. in saying what they think but consistently throughout this book Eva did not tell people what she was thinking or what she was feeling and then just ended up like self-flagellating and keeping everything inside I found her Insufferable. The way she treated the people around her, I struggled with so much. She took advantage of her friends, particularly Annie. She couldn't communicate with her mum, particularly around that conversation about money, and then just got mad at her. Oh, yes. She treated Fergus absolutely horribly. And I honestly wanted to shake the book sometimes and say just be honest with people and say what you want to say she was infuriating to read for me I agree I think that she didn't say
0: what she wanted to say because she was thinking some really judgy kind of awful things and it would be so bad if she said those (laughs) things out loud yeah yeah, maybe true but to me yeah she was a really confusing person because she seemed like the middle of two extremes in Annie and Sarah don't you reckon she was like sitting somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. it's also interesting because Ali Richards says that she draws little bits of herself for all three of the those best friends. She said, I think all of the characters are a little bit of me. I've had my Sarah moments probably when I'm going through a bad time. I'm quite high achieving and studious and can probably be a little bit judgmental of people like Annie. And then I can also be a bit withdrawn and like keep things to myself and be a bit shadowy and such like Eva is. A bit prickly like she can be too. So they're all kind of pulled out from myself, but probably stretched out to the most extreme extent of me.
1: I don't need my characters to be likable. I reckon we've said that on the podcast before. Like there are some unlikable characters who I've ended up having like a real soft spot for because they have like a single and powerful redeeming quality. But with Eva, I couldn't pinpoint what it was. You couldn't find what to like. Yeah. That's so interesting. I need to add
2: one little tidbit when we're talking about Eva because this isn't everything, but it did really irk me reading this book. I feel like she was just painted to be way too cool for school sometimes (laughs) to the point where I was like... I don't like like it's ugly like some of the things she's doing is ugly like maybe people will roll their eyes at me saying this but the continual and repeated mentions of Eva drinking alcohol while she was pregnant just felt like something where it was put in there to be like Eva's so cool and edgy she doesn't even follow doctor's advice or like what the average physician tells a pregnant woman to do and I'm like maybe put that in once like whatever maybe put in that she's sipping on a beer or something. But I reckon that was mentioned maybe five times while she was pregnant, that she was out drinking in public and, like, if people are going to judge her, they're going to judge her. Like, people have a right to probably have a thought on a pregnant woman drinking alcohol.
0: That did stand out to me, but not as much as the way she treated other people. It was especially the way she treated Sarah. Like, I get Sarah had her flaws, but the way she thought about Sarah, that's what I mean by, like, her thoughts seemed very, very judgy. The way she thought about Sarah, one of her best friends, one of her, like, family members was really odd to me yeah but Sarah was a bit annoying I
2: was about to say I cared
1: far more about how she treated Annie I felt like yes it was the Annie stuff to me let's I mean I know we're jumping between Sarah and Annie but if I'm on Annie right now please I loved Annie her friends did not deserve her and I think for me I don't know if this is too harsh but sometimes I feel like novels try to sell us on this like imperfect but loyal kind of friendship where Mm. it's like oh they all fuck each other over but they love each other so much (laughs) and it's like I personally don't want that yeah I want a quieter kind of friendship that isn't so passionate where people aren't so awful to each other and then expect people to turn up on their doorstep at 10 p.m and look after them and I think that's what frustrated me and when it comes to Annie and how Eva treated her there was this passage on 216 which I'm going to read out to you because this drove me up the wall oh go girl I love the passion in bed at night, I think about when mum was here, how obvious it was that she was keeping something from me. I get a similar sense from Annie now, though she's subdued about it, as if her secret is not something excited. I was like, there are constant references in this part of the book about how you're worried that Annie is keeping something from you and you don't do anything about it, mm-hmm. particularly in a book where we're talking about a guy who, who has taken his own life and what that does to the friends around him and the guilt that they carry. As if you are not going to the end of the world to say to your friend, are you okay? Yeah, I completely agree. Eva and
2: Sarah were so self-interested and I did not understand when this book was kind of trying to write Annie as this judgmental character. I was like,
1: she hasn't once been judgmental (laughs) to me. That's so true. It's like, I'm told she's judgmental, but I can't see it.
2: No, and maybe to be self-aware... I think the three of us sitting at this table, if we were any of these characters, we are three Annie. So maybe we were always going to side with Annie. I'd be curious if someone saw themselves more as a Sarah, if they have a different reading of this. I just felt like Annie was put in such terrible positions over and over again and really didn't set a foot wrong. If anything... Eva was continually judging Annie for daring to live a conventional life. Eva was like, how fucking boring. Like, she's judging me. I'm like, no, she's not. You're so self-interested. You think everything is about you when it's not. Yeah, I think Annie didn't stand out to me
0: as much because she seemed like such a regular, normal friend. Like, she's (laughs) she's a friend I'd want to have in my life. I don't know why I was drawn so much to Sarah's chaotic energy because (laughs) I don't really know anyone like her. I don't see, like, a shred of myself in her. But I think it just baffled me to read how poorly Eva treated her. And I just felt bad for her. I felt a lot of sympathy for her because she was a layered person that was very insecure.
2: so really interesting. I thought they both treated each other really badly. Like there was that scene where Sarah looked at Eva across the group. On, this was like very early on in the group and said, you better lose some weight then. Like Sarah was also pretty awful. There were multiple mentions in this book as well, sorry, about how these three women in their late 20s, may I add, I often thought I was reading 21 year olds, but yeah. I'm guessing they're supposed to be 27, Seven, 28, yeah. 29, yeah. repeatedly going to each other to share very important news. Like Sarah told Annie that Eva was pregnant. Annie told Sarah that Eva was moving out. And I was just thinking this, being like, why isn't Eva and Sarah going to each other and communicating with each other about this shit? If I was living with you, Zara, and I decided I need to move out, yeah, I know. why the fuck would I send Annabelle? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a coward. Like, and then,
1: like, <laughs> what is going on? Why are we writing these people like they're so immature? Well, one thing I really wanted to talk to you guys about on the Sarah thing is the random part of this book now with hindsight is how awful Sarah was when Eva got pregnant at the start. Yeah. And I get she was going through a bit when she had her abortion and I think maybe Ali Richards was trying to communicate the complexity of that. But she was so mean out of nowhere and then also out of nowhere was just so into it by reading <laughs> what to expect when you're expecting. And I was like, when did this change? Like overnight suddenly all of the bad things that Sarah has done and said about Eva's pregnancy have just been erased. Like she was – awful. She was hard to read. When Allie Richards also first started circulating copies of this book to her friends she said in an interview when the early copies first started circulating two friends of mine both told me how much they disliked Sarah and then some early reader feedback was that no one was liking her and I started getting really worried that I'd failed in writing her. I think back on that point about unlikable characters I much prefer reading an unlikable character like Sarah mm-hmm. than I do Eva. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to kind of make sense of that. What is it about the character of Sarah that I find better to read?
0: Is it because we're not privy to Sarah's inner thoughts so we can like assume a lot about her? Maybe it does tie back to her insecurities. Whereas Eva, we know she's just maybe a horrible person inside her head. Yeah,
2: we fill in the blanks and maybe in those blanks we give the benefit of the doubt. Whereas with Eva, there is no room for that (laughs) because we literally have every sentence filled for us. I think as well, naturally, when you're reading a book about the 20-something experience, the party animal, there's something endearing about that. Even when they're self-destructive, even when they do things like lose their jobs, those characters give you permission to validate the messy parts of yourself. Yeah, Yeah. that's
1: probably very, very true. Let's talk about Fergus as well before we go on because I've got to be honest, I feel like Fergus kind of gave me the ick at the start, but then I had to really fight back on that because I realised we were just seeing him through the eyes of Eva Mm. and she had the ick and he really, towards the end, he really did seem to have like a good heart (laughs) and like tirelessly pursued her when he knew and she knew that she was never gonna be interested. Like the scene when she's sleeping in the <laughs> bed. <laughs> also, I wanted to read something else out on page two two six, if you don't mind. Go for it. So this is a passage when they're going to the movies together and this is what she says. I'm sitting across from the old Fergus, the one who irritated me when I first met him. I wonder why it is that this annoys me. Something as innocuous as lacking a movie. I suspect his enthusiasm is put on, or maybe it's that his enthusiasm feels like a rebuke. Like he thinks I'm not capable of feeling that passionately about something. I wanted to throw my book across the room when she wrote this because I was like, how self-centered must you be to think that somebody else's enthusiasm is in response to your lack of enthusiasm? (laughs) As if people can't just feel that genuinely. (laughs) I just lost my mind when I read that. I think Eva's main issue and the one she needs to grapple
2: with is people don't think about you that much. People really aren't worried or thinking about you to the level that you think they are. Yeah, she was so cynical of Fergus's intentions about
0: Everything yeah. he did. And it's like, maybe he is just a good person and he's doing this because he has good intentions.
2: And he has a thing for pregnant women, which you know <laughs> what, Fergus, that is your right. If that's what you're into, that's what you're yeah, into. Yeah,
1: everyone can have their fancies, I guess. <laughs> But yes, I agree with you. And it took to the end of the book for me to be like, I think it was honestly probably around that part where I was like, fuck you, Eva. <laughs> like, honestly.
2: It was the bed thing that really got me. When she crept into his house and slept in his bed and
1: that whole scene, I was like, you have lost the plot, honey. Oh, plenty <laughs> more losing the plot to come, but first we need to hear a word from today's sponsor. Alrighty team. I really wanted to spend some time talking about one of the major themes of this book, which felt very much like obsession. I really wanted to talk about the storyline between Pat and Eva because we really barely got any insight into the two of them together but it was such a core part of this book. Annabelle, how did you feel about Pat and Eva and the storyline between them? I thought it was really delicately
0: handled and it was really strong. It really surprised me when I first realised that they actually didn't have a relationship. When I read the blurb I thought that they were like in love and then he sadly passed and then she was kind of going through the grief in that way but instead it was more of an obsession of someone that she didn't really know and she kind of like curated this idea of him which is I Mm -hmm. think why it all happened. The obsession happened. It was like a way for her to maybe grasp hold of some sort of like stability, right?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think this was the heart and the strength of this book. I think the way that Pat was covered and the way he was running about was really expertly done. Because It was good. Again, we had to fill in so many blanks and the idea of Eva sitting on her laptop every night, scrolling through his Facebook page, the Facebook pages of his friends and family, his timeline, all of the photos posted over the years. I could so clearly see that. And I think this was a strength of the book in general. I could see a lot of these scenes play out and I could believe a lot of these scenes happening and the obsession and that kind of I think we've all gone through it where you've gone on a few dates with someone and you've pictured your whole life with them. Like you, you're obsessed with them so far because you haven't figured out any flaws or weaknesses. That was
1: so poignant and believable. I totally agree. And I think that was the strength of the book for me, for sure. And I think that sense that most of us would have reacted in exactly the same Mm. way, like being so obsessed with trying to get any clue to point to who he actually was. This was my favourite part of the story, I think, because in some way it meant that Eva had a heart. Like she really did like him and she really did imagine an entire future with him and then he just died Mm. and she was carrying his baby and I can't imagine how confusing – that would be like only knowing someone based on who you imagined them to be. And I feel like it was the only glimpse we got into the fact that, oh, she was passionate about someone
2: or passionate about something.
1: And it was him in the first few dates and he didn't seem as interested in her or maybe he had, you know, other ideas about what he was going to do. But for me, that was the only sign that I was like, maybe she had a heart.
2: Yeah. Why do we think he rejected her date proposal like she reached out to him to say I'd love to get together again and he basically said no why do we think he did that
0: I don't want to tie it all down to his mental health but by the end didn't Travis say that he was so excited after yeah yeah that Pat was so excited after they slept together so a small part of me is like maybe it was something outside of the relationship between Pat and Eva
1: yeah I agree with that I mean I kind of I don't know if this is going to come out the right way, but I kind of wanted it to be that for Eva. Like, yeah. is, I, I don't like her, but I was like, well, I don't want you to be rejected yeah, yeah, you're from a guy you, you're you really interested in.
2: I think the only thing that made it feel a little incongruous for me was that mention from Pat that he was so excited to sleep with Eva. I think that sentence probably could have been left out or that sentiment could have been left out because I'm not sure if someone's so excited to have slept with you and they're, they're telling their friend that are also simultaneously going, but I'm never going to see her again. I don't want to go on a date with her. That kind of
1: didn't sit well with me. That does make sense to me. Mm. Like with the complexity of mental health and those kinds of things, like it, it, it does make sense to me to be like there's like bigger forces at play here. Like I can sort of feel one thing and also feel another at exactly the same time and those things just don't align. Mm.
2: I, th- I think for me maybe, yes, he could have felt excitement, but to feel that to the level he's expressing it to the people around him and then to simultaneously say, no, I'm not going to date you.
1: I don't know. I I totally understand the duality in your own head, but to express it. How many guys do we know, aside from this, who are like – would probably be excited to see someone and to date someone and then be like, oh, I'm too complicated. That That's sense it. as well felt very relatable. I wanted to know more about him though. Yeah. I didn't. I couldn't really picture him at all. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. No, I could picture him but I agree. I would love to know more.
2: I'm not sure we needed to picture him
0: though. I no, wanted to know I more. I agree. Yeah, I really wanted to know more just because like I found this story beautiful. But, yeah, I think that the way he was portrayed and the amount – of like airtime he got in his book was the perfect amount, in my opinion. Yeah.
2: What did you guys think of the meeting the parents at the cafe? Because truthfully, again, I've read that story and maybe I wasn't as believing that the parents were so sullen and so dark about the thought of their son living on in this grandchild. Maybe that's simple or basic of me, but I truly thought maybe there would be more excitement or more happiness about that occasion particularly given they'd had those weeks to kind of come to terms with the fact that their son had been part of conceiving a child I don't know the cafe scene to me read a little too dark for something that I'm not sure would be as dark as it was
1: I thought it was very believable. Yeah, that's yeah. really
2: interesting. I thought that it made sense that they were so
0: shut off from Eva because it would be a lot to consume. Yeah. Very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Your son just committed suicide and then this woman comes who is like very far into her pregnancy. With your son's
1: baby, it would be a lot. I think it would be different in a couple of ways. Firstly, if they found out about the pregnancies earlier – And she wasn't walking into this cafe with this huge stomach. I also think where I don't think a couple of weeks would be enough to get your head around it at all, particularly with the trauma of losing a son in this way. I believed it wholeheartedly. And I think when Annabelle said at the top of this episode, I did feel hope. This was probably one of the one areas of the book where I did feel hope because I think I knew in my gut they weren't going to stay like this. Like it was going to bring them joy. And that was like a very nice thing to think about that this could be like one part of their lives that could bring them joy at this point. But I believed it wholeheartedly that they were confused and overwhelmed and sad and dark about everything yeah I think the way Ellie
2: Richards wrote about Pat's mother and the way that grief had physically changed her over the space of what eight nine months was really poignant as well I think I just have an example in my own life where basically an identical situation has happened and it was a very different outcome very different response so to read this I was like oh okay that was an interesting cafe exchange to me.
1: Yeah. I also want to talk about how this obsession with Pat kind of did carry over into Travis, someone we haven't actually mentioned today. That also made sense to me. You know, mm. I can understand how you'd also trawl through Travis's Facebook page because he is really your only connection to Pat. It just started getting a bit less realistic to me when she started just like randomly calling him every night. Yeah. And I thought that was like a deeply unfair thing to do to someone who is in the midst of incredible amounts of grief.
0: Yeah, and then when Travis finds out about your baby and who the father is and he starts messaging you, as in Eva, she kind of like shut him off and like turn her back on him. It she was, was a little very smug about it as well. Yeah, like, oh, now the tables have turned. Now he's got an obsession with me, huh?
2: Yeah, I found Travis to be probably the most confusing character in the whole story because we were continually talking about how outrageous he was and how obsessive he was about things. But I'm not convinced that I saw that enough to truly true. believe it. And, like, I felt like we saw so many different kinds of Travis, like the one at the winery who was super friendly and lovely and then the one at, I don't know, whenever they'd go to a gig or a bar who was just, like, a bit
1: aloof and confusing. I didn't really know what to make of Travis. Yeah, I couldn't picture him much either and I agree with you. It felt very much, again, like we were told what his characteristics were but I couldn't see them play out. There was a passage in the book towards the end as well, where Eva is watching an interview that Travis is doing about his music, and I want to read out this bit. The interviewer asks Travis what's coming up next for him, and he says he's going to hit the road. I feel weirdly dejected reading that he's leaving, abandoned, offended that he hasn't told me his plans. I'm aware of how unreasonable I'm being, not letting anyone in, then blaming everyone for how lonely it is out here on my own. Awareness isn't making me act any differently, though. Mm. I'm like... What an unfair relationship that is to have with Travis, considering you barely even have one with him, to like have this expectation that he needs to structure his life around you when at this point in the book you hadn't even told him you were pregnant with his best friend's (laughs) baby. And just that sense of like, yeah, I can be self-aware, but unfortunately, I'm not <laughs> I just. Refuse to, I refuse to act differently. It's like that's not how you live
2: <laughs> too bad for you, guys. I refuse to change,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. she was very self-centered, as we've touched on before. And I know this is maybe an unfair thing to say, given she. Had quite, like, sad circumstances. She was pregnant with this man's baby who had passed away. But I feel like she did have a lot of privilege around her. Like, she was so supported by the people in her life and she just wasn't really acknowledging that or she wasn't very thankful for the fact that she had these pillars around her and she was blaming people like Travis, who she doesn't even have a relationship with.
1: Like, Renee seemed like such a lovely character. Yeah. And I was like, you're very transactional about these relationships almost and again because we read this book through the eyes of Eva it took me a while to realize that Renee is probably an amazing friend as well you just don't really give a fuck about her
2: yeah I was so annoyed at one point in the book when I felt like maybe Eva was never going to tell people who the father of her child was because that as well I felt like was inherently selfish and maybe that's why I had that reaction before to the cafe I had been thinking for so long this is a way for Pat to live on like this is a way for his legacy to continue and his family to still have a piece of Pat what beautiful news that you're withholding from them so I was so pissed off thank god she did but like to be honest pretty selfish still I think to keep that to yourself and not tell anyone
1: yeah I agree I feel like we are muddy as always with the structure of this episode (laughs) because I want to talk to you about strengths weaknesses and the ending but I feel like we've been doing that through the whole thing Annabelle, tell me what a strength or key weakness was of the book for you.
0: I have so many strengths.
1: I think a huge strength in this book was how, because
0: Eva was so sharply aware and like raw, oftentimes judgy, as we've said, she came to some really smart observations about her life. Because it's kind of like the more she put out there with her thoughts, yeah, she's quite bang on with some stuff. This is tangenty, but I was talking to some friends about family a week or so ago and I actually referred to this book. I took out a photo that I'd taken of a page and I read it out. This is not really like relevant to any of the themes of the book but I thought it was really profound. It reads, what Sarah doesn't understand about people in unhappy families and what it took me a long time to understand is that you don't make comments about it for anyone else's benefit. It's more about acknowledging your own distance from the pain. It isn't sad, not now. And I think that is just, like, a really interesting thing to think about when you're talking to other people and their families. Because, you know, we've all got different experiences. In that, like, I share the sad things because I am comfortable in it now. And it's, like, still sad, but I'm not, like, emotionally torn by it, if that makes sense. I just think that Eva was smart and that was really palpable. And I thought that
1: it was really great, even though I thought she was a terrible person, (laughs) to see life through her eyes. I thought she was smart as well. I was kind of sad that she gave up acting because the way she spoke about other productions I was like you clearly know what you're talking mm. about like you clearly are good at this but then I should never force anyone to do <laughs> that you simply must act <laughs> one of the strengths of the book for me were some of those smart insights from Eva about the world and um, one of these was on page 208 actors I worked with Those who worked in serious theatre and writers I met love to call themselves artists. They talk about creating empathy and telling stories of our time in order to understand it. They say we tell ourselves stories in order to live as though what we do is a great triumph of catharsis for the human race. Actually, we tell ourselves stories in order to live with ourselves. I love that. I loved that bit because I was like, that was a huge bit of self-awareness for me that I thought was really important, because I was like, yeah, it's probably important for all of us to have that level of self-awareness about the work we do. It's like, be proud of it. Yeah. Like, I'm proud of what we do in this business, right, of hopefully creating content that comforts people and entertains people. But like, let's not pretend it's anything more than that. A hundred percent. I think both of those lines that you just read out
2: about family and about art really stood out to me as well and were a huge strength of this book. I think she was quite wise in a lot of different Areas. I, I know that I'm bringing up a weakness. I need to remind everyone I really, really enjoyed this book <laughs> and I inhaled it in two days. But one weakness for me was some sentences were a little clunky to the point where I didn't actually understand what was being said. Like on page 22, there was this sentence It's amazing how easily people believe you are going about your life being you. Like I read that multiple times and had to come to the conclusion of I don't actually understand what's being said. <laughs> yeah. And that happened a couple of times where I was like, I wish it would just be said to me straight, really simply. The language here is kind of disorienting for me.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: I didn't notice it, to be honest. I just think there were a lot of strengths in this book for me. Another one that I we kind of touched on before with Sarah being kind of a party animal, but I really liked the way Ali depicted being at that stage of life when like, some friends are you know, being party animals, some friends are like Annie and they're more like settling down. Mm -hmm. I think she portrayed the idea of friends dispersing in your 20s really well because I can see that in my own life and it was just really interesting to read.
1: I do think, because I didn't love this book, I'm not going to lie, I do think, though, my problems with the book are also largely a me thing. Like, I don't think I was necessarily in the right headspace to read it. I was probably distracted and tired. And I honestly do think if I read this on a holiday, I might have had a completely different experience of the book. And that's not me being a soft reviewer. I feel like I've been pretty tough on some books (laughs) over time. This is one of the few books where I'm like, I would love to have read this for the first time on holiday because... There was just a lot going on as I was trying to read it. And I did have to keep looking at the page number. Maybe because it felt like I was working after hours and things like that. I had to set myself like a 20-page goal to get through it. And I don't know what I put that down to. Maybe it was as well because it just felt airy. The whole thing just felt Mm, like – Yeah, kind of amorphous. And I was like, what am I consuming here? I do want to talk about the ending with you though. Because I did really like the ending. I was so relieved that it ended in a really open-ended way because I felt the whole book had been pretty open-ended and I was like, don't you dare tie this up for me now when I've sat through 300 pages. It just wouldn't have suited the book at all. Like the book itself I found relatively depressing and it didn't sugarcoat life. (laughs) And I'm glad that she did leave it up in the air, that the whole thing wasn't sugarcoated at the end, that she didn't give birth to the baby and Pat's parents were there and Travis was there and Annie and Sarah all hugging. Like I'm so (laughs) glad that didn't happen because – that also might not happen. Like Pat's parents, as much as I think that they will eventually bring this baby into their world, even though they're not real people, There is a possibility that that won't happen and I'm glad that that's what she lent into.
2: Yeah, interesting. I mostly agree with you. I did think the ending was slightly too anticlimactic though. Like it really did fizzle for me. Just being at home, I think a stronger ending, I didn't want the baby to be born, not by any stretch. I think that would have been too naff and far too saccharine for a book that was quite dry. I would have far preferred for her to be in labour and be on the cusp of something that we know symbolically is incredibly challenging for a woman. That scene of going into labour and maybe having her Two friends with her on the way to the hospital. That would have been a more impactful, true to the book finish for yeah. me. Just finish with her at home. Well, I around. turned the page <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. And there was <laughs> like no interest. epilogue. Like, there was no yeah. epilogue, which I think we're quite used to in this book club. I do think the ending was a little lackluster and disappointing. I agree. It shouldn't have gone too far to be like, the baby's here and we're calling it Pat Jr. And <laughs> everyone's embracing. It could have been, I'm about to go through something really fucking hard, but look who's by my side. Yeah, I don't mind that. I think that's a really good point. Annabelle? Yeah, no, I love the ending.
0: I thought that I liked that it was quite open. I did also turn the page thinking there was more and there wasn't. I just think the ending, as you said, Zara, is quite aligned with the style of the book. Mm. And I think that this style of the book reminds me of A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing, New Animal, which two books that we did in this book club. And also Kokomo, which was another book that I read. Yeah. And it made- Maybe because they are all Australian books but I do think it's because it's kind of this like walking through life book you're just kind of like getting a snippet of someone's life that is a beautiful story not necessarily has a strict beginning middle and end
1: yeah I agree with you wholeheartedly and I think our thoughts are consistent on this because I have consistently thought kind of differently to you on those four books <laughs> yeah because I agree I feel like the style of them all of them is quite similar. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It's the vibe of the thing. Yeah, yeah. But I totally, totally agree with you. I want to know how you're rating this book. How do I rate it? Michelle, I will start with you. I'm going to go four out of five.
2: Cool. I inhaled it. I did not check the page once, unlike you, Zara. I thought it was really pacey, really well-structured, really well-written apart from a couple of sentences that I highlighted before. I didn't like the characters, but I found them super compelling. So four out of five, really enjoyed it. 4.5 4.5 out of five. Way.
0: Similar reasons to Michelle, I flew through it. I really liked the pacing of the book. It just was so fast, which is not how you experience the book at all, Zara. Yeah. But yeah, loved it.
1: No, and and for that reason, like I wouldn't not recommend this to people because as I said to you guys before, I do hazard a guess that I might have been the problem. Some, not, big, not in all big, of it. It's me, not you, Energy yeah. In some parts of it, I don't think I was in the right HUD space. So if someone was going on a holiday, I'd say, take this and try it and see how you go. I will, for my own experience of this book, I couldn't lie to you. I'd have to give it like a two and a half. If I am setting myself. I was higher than what I thought. I yeah. thought you were going to go a two. No, I, if I'm setting myself 20 page and then the next 20 yeah. pages to get through a book.
2: Two and a half is generous if yeah. you're giving yourself 20 page quotas. Have you been a little over generous? No, here? I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Guys.
1: She laughs nervously. <laughs> don't ask me
0: any more questions
1: (laughs) and that is it for the main installment of the shameless book club if you read small joys of real life and want to tell us your thoughts perhaps even your own rating come chat on our instagram at the shameless book club next month prepare yourselves for
2: sugary goodness because we will be reading the wedding party by jasmine guillory jasmine is one of the biggest names in the rom-com lit space so we can't wait to get stuck into the stories of maddie theo and alexa Here's a passage from the blurb. After
0: an oops, we made a mistake night together, neither Maddie or Theo can stop thinking about the other. With Alexa's wedding rapidly approaching, Maddie and Theo both share bridal party responsibilities that require more interaction with each other than they're comfortable with. Underneath the sharp barbs they toss at each other is a simmering attraction that won't fade. <laughs> it builds until they find themselves sneaking off together to release some tension when Alexa isn't looking. <laughs> but as with any engagement with an nemesis, there are unspoken rules that must be abided by. First and foremost, don't fall in love. Dot dot dot.
1: What a classic! This is exactly what I need right now, and I am so excited to dive into it. Well, just wedding energy as well. Bring on the wedding vibe. Uh, we haven't read a book with a wedding in it. No, not give yet. it to me. I haven't read a Jasmine Guillory book either, so I'm super excited to get into this one. That is it from us now, though, guys. We will be back in your ears on Monday with a brand new and very British episode of Scandal. I was going to say like jolly o good chap, but I'm like, <laughs> that's <laughs>
2: not what the saying is. <laughs> Toodaloo. <laughs> Toodaloo. <laughs> I
1: don't I think that's pretty sad. Sure <laughs> Bye. Bye.
2: Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.